I want to invite you to go with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to begin reading in verse 17 this morning. I spoke last week, began the series of sermons entitled, Three Battlefields You Must Engage. And I want to continue that message this morning as we discuss the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17, Jesus speaking, and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God, which is living and powerful. And I ask you this morning to anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of God. I ask you to anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might put this living word to work in their life. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. There are three battlefields which every believer must engage uh, if they want to have the fullness of God's victory and success in their life. As well, they must engage them if they want to enjoy of the fulfillment of their God-given and God-designed purpose. We spoke last week of the battlefield of the mind. This battlefield is one you must win, first of all, because it is where life flows from. The Bible says, above all things, guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. We learned last week that there is a key to winning the battlefield of the mind, and that key is the truth of God's Word. When you know truth, when you have truth, you can have the right thoughts, and when you have the right thoughts, you can have a victorious life. The second battlefield, the one we'll speak about this morning, is the church. And we're going to learn this morning that there is a key for winning in the battleground of the the church, and that is unity. The church triumphs through unity, through walking together. And finally, we have the heavens. This is the spiritual battle, the invisible and spiritual battle in which every believer is and must be engaged. And we win this battle by the almighty power of prayer. But this week, I want us to talk about the church. And when we talk about the church, we're talking about, of course, a, a people, a gathering, a congregation of a unique and special people. Often when we say we're going to church, we mean we're going to the building, and that's okay, that's not an inappropriate term, but ultimately the church is not the building, the church is the people. And the people uh, that make up the church are unique in the world, they're also unique in the plan of God. We read here that Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church. That helps us to understand that the church was built and is being built by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he is the Lord of the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He is the Lord of this great flock. And uh, he is the one who is leading and directing its future. We have seen the church born on the day of Pentecost. When by the power of the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. And God brought about a, a, a powerful move throughout history, which was called the church. And uh, this church will exist and remain until the rapture, at which time God will call the church out of the earth and lead her into his eternal presence. But why did God establish the church? What's the point? What's the big deal? What is so special about this body? Well, the Bible gives us three names for the church that I want to mention briefly. First of all, the Bible says that the church is the temple of God. Peter, pardon Paul, spoke to the Corinthians and he said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Lord? He was speaking corporately there to the body of believers at Corinth. And he was saying to them that you as a body, you as a group of believers are the church. You are the triumphant body of Christ in which God dwells. And this, uh, this temple is a place where God manifests his glory and presence among believers. Then the Bible describes the church as the body of Christ. This is the the uniting of all of our different and diverse uh, personalities and gifts and callings and bringing them together to effect a change and a transformation in the world through a group of people that God calls the body of Christ. Finally, the church is called the bride of Christ. And this lets us know that Jesus takes the church personally. He has drawn her to himself as a bride. And he, he cares for her and he loves her. He cherishes her and he is coming back for her. The day is coming when the church of Jesus Christ is going to be raptured out of the earth. And the bride will be united with the groom and the church will be in the presence of God forever and forever. If you're excited about that, say amen. God put his people on the earth. He gave the, he, he gave the church its purpose its existence in Matthew uh, he said to them in Matthew 28 he said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and baptize them in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit he gave to the church a mission what is the mission of the church the mission of the church is the preaching of the gospel and the training up of disciples you and I exist as Kingsway Church to reach and to equip. We are to reach the lost through our personal testimony, through our life and conduct. We also are to reach the lost through the preaching of the gospel, which we do from this pulpit, which we do through our uh, radio ministry, through our internet ministry, which we do through the various outreaches of this church. This is our task to tell the world there's a Savior and that He has given them His Son to be uh, their Savior, to be their Deliverer, and that He is a healer, that He is the lover of the lost and the restorer of the broken. It's also our mission to raise up disciples, that men and women who come to know Jesus will grow up 
in their Christian faith and become full-grown Christians, not wearing diapers and drinking milk, but eating solid food and being able to exercise all the power and authority which God has given to the church. But why do we call the church a battleground? Well, the Bible tells us on many occasions that the church in the mind of God is characterized as a battleground. It is a, 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 an army. It is a, a powerful force on the earth that God has designed to push back the powers of darkness. Listen to what the Bible says. In 1 John 3, 8, we have the mission of Jesus. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? He came to destroy the works of the devil. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, he says, From this day, apart from the days of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So we understand that the only way that you and I can oppose the kingdom of darkness is by the aggressive and violent action of the church in the spiritual realm. That you and I wage war against the kingdom of darkness. In Luke chapter 14 verse 28, we are told for which one of you who wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Jesus is talking about the church. And he says, my church is going to build a tower. Those towers were built in those days for the purpose of warfare. They were defensive measures. And Jesus says, if you're going to become a part of the church, you need to think it through first. Because following me is a wartime measure that will require your all. It will require the totality of who you are. And then in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, we read, I also say to you, Peter, you are the rock. And upon, pardon, he said, you are a piece of the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There we see that the church is a force against the gates of Hades. It is a weapon and a powerful agency against the kingdom of darkness. The church is an army. The church has a battleground upon which it alone can fight. God gave to you, to the church, a divine responsibility to push back the powers of darkness. Something which he did not give to the federal government or to a king or to a, a national government. Something which he did not give to our universities. He has given to the church. The only one that can hold back the powers of darkness in a city and in a nation is the church of Jesus Christ. And you and I must not relent. We must take this battlefield and we must fight the good fight of faith. Say amen somebody. At the end of the church age, the Bible says that there will come a man of perdition, the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a world ruler who will fill the world with darkness like the world has never known. But the Bible says he cannot come. Listen to that. He cannot come until the restrainer has been lifted. What does that mean? That means so long as the church is here, Satan cannot take full control of this world. 
Say amen, somebody. Because you are the church of Jesus Christ. That's why where you should see a world that is continuously growing darker, there are still glimmers of hope and light. Because the church of Jesus Christ is still marching on, still doing battle, still waging the warfare of the believer. The Bible tells us about this army. First of all, this army is empowered by God. You and I, as the body of Christ, have God's authority on us and in us. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means harm you. How much authority did he give you? He said, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. That means that you, yes, little old you, you have power and authority over all the powers of the enemy. Say amen, somebody. My mother was about four foot eleven. My grandmothers were not much taller than that, if taller than that at all. But those three women were a terror to the kingdom of darkness because they knew the authority they had been given in the name of Jesus. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, you don't have to be tall. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be educated. When you are a member of the body of Christ, you have power and authority over all the powers of the enemy. And this belongs exclusively to the church, to the body of Christ. This church was not only empowered for war. God gave us authority. But listen here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he said, I give to you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That means that God has given to the church influence. Influence in heaven. Now listen, it's one thing to have influence uh, at the courthouse. It's another thing to have influence at the governor's mansion. It's even better to have influence at the White House. But if you don't have any influence in any of those places, you have a trump card. And I don't mean Donald Trump. I mean you have a trump card. You have the name of Jesus and you have influence in the presence of the living God. Come on somebody. The high court of heaven will listen to you when you pray. Come on. Because you have been given the keys to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Do you realize that we as the church have the power to bring heaven down to earth. That we as the church have the ability to see God's presence and power manifested in our day, in our generation, and in our world. So guess what? If God's glory isn't seen in this generation, it won't be God's fault. Because he said, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If you want to see the glory of God, then you call it down. You call it down by prayer and by fasting and by seeking God. Come on, somebody. You and I are the church with keys, with power, with authority to wage war against the kingdom of darkness. The church is not only empowered by the authority God gave her, but she is armed for war. Ephesians chapter 6 says, put on the whole armor of God. God has given you spiritual weapons for spiritual warfare. He's given them to the church. Now I said, put on the full armor of God. That word there in the Greek is the panoplia. Put on the panoplia. 
And if you don't really know what panoplia means, that's all right. But just think about James Bond for a minute. There's that moment in every James Bond film where he goes into that back room where they have the panoplia. They have all of the the weapons. And they have pens that are explosive, right? And they have a little bit of dental floss that you can hang 15 feet from. It's the, it's the weapons that, that he doesn't think he may need, but at the moment that he needs it, there it is. Just what he needed for just that moment. Guess what? God has a panoplia too. And he says, put it all on. Because at the moment of battle, you will have what you need to wage the war and win. Come on church. You are the armed, well-armed, spiritually powerful church of the living God. He said, put on the helmet of salvation. Your head, your mind, your thoughts have been covered by the blood. If you're saved, shout amen this morning. Because you are, you are, uh, you are wearing the helmet of salvation. He says, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Our inner man is protected and covered by the righteousness of Almighty God. And Satan can't accuse you about your past because you are the righteousness of God in Christ. We have the belt of truth so that we can stand with our our loins girded, ready for battle. Because we know whose side we are on. We know the difference between light and darkness and between right and wrong. And we know how to stand for the right and how to stand for the light because we are armed with the truth of God's word we have our feet covered with peace we walk in the peace of God we walk in the peace of God even in the midst of storms and trial and battle and what's more we have the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and with that two-edged sword you are able to wage war against every challenge the enemy throws at you come on somebody you have the powerful word of the living God When Jesus was tempted by the devil, he answered with the sword of the spirit. He said, it is written. And he answered the devil concerning what he knew about the word of God. There are a lot of Christians when they get tempted, they just get stuck. uh, 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 And they look like they're buffering because they don't have the sword in their hand. But you are the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, pick up your Bible and use it. It is your weapon against the kingdom of darkness. If you are in lack, take the sword of the Spirit, which says that God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. If you're sick, take the sword of the Spirit, which says that by His stripes you are healed and wage war against the sickness that's in your body. If you're depressed and discouraged, take the sword of the Spirit, which says the joy of the Lord is my strength and rise up out of the shadows and stand in the power of God's might. Come on church, you have not been left defenseless. You are armed for battle. You are armed for war. Now why would God put armor on you and give you weapons so that you could stand around? No, He gave us armor, He gave us weapons so that we can win on this incredible battlefield. Now the church is unique in the world. And it's unique in the plan of God. There are things that you can get at church, which you cannot get anywhere else. Say amen, somebody. You say, that's right, Pastor. The church makes the best chicken plate I ever ate. Now, I'm not talking about that. There are things you can get at church that you can't get at a restaurant. 
You can't get them in a doctor's office. You can't get them in the lawyer's office. You're not going to get them at the bank. God has given specific and powerful resources to the church. One of the ways that we see this is in the book of James. The Bible says, if any among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. When you are in need of ministry, whether you are sick or need to be uh, encouraged or counseled, or whether you need prayer, you have an opportunity to come to the eldership of the church. And through that body of believers, receive ministry. He said, call for the elders of the church. Well, guess what? If you're not a part of a church, you don't know who to call. There are a lot of people who get sick. They don't have anybody to call. They don't have any resources. But when you know that you're a part of the, a member of the body of Christ, and you have access to the resources of God, because He has put within the church these uh, individuals whose, uh, whose gifts and callings are such that they can minister to your need. You cannot find that at the doctor's office. I've never seen a doctor anoint me with oil. I've never seen him lay hands on me and pray the prayer of faith. Come on, we could use a little bit more of that, couldn't we? But you know what God said? If you can't get to the doctor's office, you call for the elders of the church. And they will anoint you with oil. And they will lay hands on you. And the prayer of faith will make you well. Come on somebody. You can't receive that any other place. And God has made it so. So that the world will know that he operates through the church. In another place Jesus said if you have a conflict with your brother. You go to your brother first. And try to reconcile. And if you can't reconcile with your brother. Then call for the elders of the church. And the church will come together. He's talking about the leadership of the church. They will try or work out a reconciliation for you and your Christian brother. And God tells us this so that we'll understand that the judicial system of the world does not apply in the church. That the church has solutions. That the church has remedies. Ways to correct wrongs and to make them right. And that God has set in place these things. This is what he says through the Apostle Paul. He says, when you go and sue your Christian brother in a court of law, what are you telling the world? You're telling the world that there's division and disunity in the church. So he says there's a church, in the church, you can find correction. You can find reconciliation. You can find healing. Come on somebody. The body of Christ is a place for healing. How does the Bible describe it? It says confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. When you come and you share your need, your fault, your your burden with a a member of the body of Christ. A leader in in God's body. That ministry that's operating in them can bring restoration and resolution and healing to your life. God gave the church the ability to experience his presence. And to manifest his glory in their midst. He gave to the church the ability to come together. And to experience his manifest presence among them. 
Again, this doesn't happen at the movies. This doesn't happen at the mall. This doesn't happen at NASCAR. This happens only when the body of Christ comes together. It is a unique experience reserved for the children of God. Come on, don't you love the presence of God? And God has made it so. So that you will know that it's His house. And it's His family that enjoys these special and unique benefits in the world. Now, how does this church operate? How does the body of Christ fulfill its mission and accomplish its purpose? Well, the key to winning in the battlefield of the church is unity. Everyone say unity. The Bible says in Matthew 18, verse 20, where there are two or three gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. Now I want you to notice three things in that verse. First of all, two or three gathered. There has to be unity. We have to come together. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. So there are some people that say, well, I'll just stay at home. I'll watch Jimmy Swagger on TV and that'll be my church. No, you have to come together. There's a gathering of the believers. Number two, what makes this gathering different from the coffee shop or different from a going to the taqueria with your friends? What makes this different is that you gather in the name of Jesus. Say amen, somebody. The church gathers in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of the church. Not in the name of the pastor. Not in the name of a tradition. Not in the name of a religious experience. Not even in the name of a spiritual gift. We gather in the name of Jesus. And what does he say? When you unite in my name, I will be there in your midst. Come on somebody. The presence of God is what makes the church the church. I said the presence of God is what makes the church the church. And he says, if you gather in my name, I'll be there. He's teaching us that without unity, he won't be present. Where there's division and discourse and disharmony, God stays away. But where there's unity, God abides. Go to Psalm chapter 133, please. Uh, you go there in your Bible physically so you can see this with me. We see here the picture of unity and what happens when there is unity. The Bible says in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. God is pleased when we unite. Just like you, Mom, are happy when your kids come over. Don't you just like it when all your kids come over? Some of you didn't say amen. We'll have to pray about that. You like it when your kids come over, mom and dad, because you enjoy the unity, the blessing of family. Well, God says, I enjoy when my family comes together. But this is what happens. He says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. When the church unites, something happens. Say that out loud with me. When the church unites... Something happens. What happens? The anointing begins to flow. He said it is like the oil. The oil that is upon Aaron's head. It comes down upon his beard. 
even on Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. When the church of God, when the body of Christ unites, in the name of Jesus, the anointing begins to flow. And that anointing begins at the head. It begins with the leadership of the church. Flows down to the beard. That beard represents the eldership, the authorities in the church. Then it gets down to the robe. And it says it gets down to the very edge of the robe. Right down to the seam of your trousers. The anointing goes right down to the whole body. You see, when the body comes together, the anointing begins to flow. And the pastor gets anointed. And the leadership gets anointed. And the body gets anointed. And then something happens. And the Bible said that it is like the dew of Hermon. That comes, uh, like the dew, uh, that comes down upon Mount Zion. It is once the, the head is anointed and the body is anointed, then the mountain gets anointed. And the presence of God begins to fill the community. How can we see Beville touched by the presence of God? We, the church, have to unite. Did you hear me? I said we, the church, have to unite. Because where the church is united, the anointing will flow. And when the anointing flows, it won't stay in the church. It will touch the very hillside, the very community, the place that is all around us. Come on, somebody. Beville needs an anointed, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, united church. So there's disunity, there's no flow of the anointing. The anointing stops. The flow is held up. And it'll happen in congregations where there's division and there's discord. You know, churches have split over the color of the carpet, the color of the paint. They've they've split over the smallest, most insignificant things. But here's the fact. All of us, we come into church, we come divided. We all come in worrying and thinking about different things. And our minds are divided by different interests. When we come in, we start to worship God. And while we worship Him, we get into one spirit. We come into the spirit of God and we begin to think about one thing. That's Jesus. And while we think about Jesus, the anointing begins to flow. And when the anointing begins to flow, the sick become healed. And the broken are restored and the sad are encouraged. Come on, somebody. You and I have the only, this is the only place where that's possible. The church of Jesus Christ. And God won't anoint anyone else but the church. He's put his oil upon the church. So that the church can be a blessing to the community. So that the church can be a blessing to the world around it. Now, I, I heard this week about the Spartans. Uh, this was a, a warring people in the Greek nation. The Spartans had shields, but the, these shields were very interesting. They only covered one half of the soldier's body. And the, the, the way that they did battle was that they would come together for battle. And these particular infantrymen, they were the, the, the poor... They didn't have the the uh, uh, the money they needed for a horse, so they fought in the in the uh, infantry, and their their weapons were such that they had a sword and a spear, but and a, and a shield. But their shield was designed to lock in together, and when they would come together, his half that covered him, uh, would, the other half would cover someone else. They would they would lock together their shields and form a wall. 
And when that wall was formed, even the cavalry, even the people on horses could not penetrate the wall. Because the, the, the horses were afraid to attack a solid structure, a solid wall. And you realize then that God has given us a similar type of shield. He said, you're not intended to fight alone. You're intended to fight belong, alongside your, bro- your brother and sister. And you may say, well, I don't have much. Well, you have enough to fight with. And if you will unite, if you will come together as the body of Christ, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against you. Come on, somebody, because you are the anointed church of the living God. So you got to lock your shields together. We have to unite as the single and powerful body of Christ. Now this unity is a unity in diversity. The Bible tells us that we have different gifts, different callings. Some of us speak in tongues. Others are supposed to interpret tongues. Some prophesy. Others are to deliver the word of knowledge. Some are those who use, are used by God for miracles. Others are used by God for administration. We have a diversity. But amongst the diversity, there's a oneness. Why? Ephesians chapter, chapter 4 verse 4. There it says there is one body, one spirit. Just as also you were called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all who are, uh, who is over all and through all and in all. Your gifts are different than mine. And I don't have all the gifts. And you don't have all the gifts. And that's intentional. If I had all the gifts, I wouldn't need you. If you had all the gifts, you wouldn't need me. But God designed it so that you don't have everything and I don't have everything and we need each other. I said we need each other. Your gift helps me. My gift helps you. And when everyone brings their gift to the table, and everyone serves according to the power that God has given to them, that diversity brings about a oneness of the body of Christ. We're able to serve the Lord together. And able to do so. Why? Because it's the same Lord in each one. Listen, the one who preaches on Sunday morning is the same Lord working in them. As the one who cleans the church in the, in the midweek. Say amen somebody. It's the same Lord that drives, in the person who drives the van to pick up someone to bring them to church. Say amen somebody. It's the same Lord that goes to the hospital to lay hands on the sick. You have different gifts, but it's the same Lord. And He is Lord of all. Say amen somebody. God is working through you. And you and I are His body fulfilling His purpose in the earth. Not only is it a unity in diversity, but it is also a unity in humility. The Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. In order for the church to be united, it has to be humble. It has to be able to recognize, I don't have everything. And I need Someone else. It has to also be humble enough to say, you know what? That person hasn't grown yet. They don't have everything they need yet. I'm going to be patient and tolerant toward them. 
until they grow up into the full man and the full stature of Christ. When you and I operate as the body of Christ in humility, we give time to one another and occasion to one another to grow up, to become the fullness of what God has designed for each one. And when, when you are tolerant toward other people, just remember, somebody one day was tolerant toward you. Somebody was patient with you. Somebody gave you time to grow up and gave you time to mature in the things of God. The Bible talks about the apostle Paul. He went to, uh, to a missionary journey and he took along with him a man named Barnabas and a young man named John Mark. While they were traveling, John Mark got homesick and he started, he started wanting his mama's cooking. And he started wanting uh, to see his mama. And everything became about his mama. And then eventually, John Mark grabbed a Greyhound bus and left Paul and Barnabas on their mission trip and came home. And Paul said, that's the last time he'll ever travel with me. I don't have time for quitters. And so the next mission trip came along. And the Bible said that Barnabas came to Paul and said, Paul, Let's take John Mark with us. He said, no way, Jose. That boy abandoned me once. That's all he's going to get. He is out of the ministry as far as I'm concerned. And so the Bible says that there was such a division between Paul and Barnabas that Paul and Silas went one way and Barnabas and John Mark went another. John Mark was a young man. He needed somebody to tolerate him, to be patient with him, to grow up with him. And Barnabas took him under his wing, just like he had done with Saul of Tarsus. And, and he, he matured him and grew him up in the things of God. Eventually, when Paul is an older man, he's in prison. He writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, bring me my coat. And also bring John Mark with you, because he's useful to me for the ministry. Oh, now he's useful, Paul. Now that he's grown up and matured, now that he knows a few things. Come on, somebody. Are there any Pauls in here this morning? Let's just be real. This morning, there's a few Apostle Pauls in here this morning. But guess what? There's also some Barnabases who have a humility to say, you know what? I see a gift in there. I see a calling in there. I see potential in there. I'm not going to give up until I see you become who God called you to be. Do you know what John Mark did? John Mark grew up and he wrote a book of the Bible. We call it the Gospel of Mark. That young man who was overcome by homesickness, who was, who was set apart, or set aside by the Apostle Paul, but was taken in and was patiently trained by Barnabas, he became one of the writers of the Gospel. He became one of the four evangelists. Why? Because somebody in the church recognized we'll never be what we must be if we are not patient and tolerant with those who are coming up behind us. You see, unity requires that we have a long-range vision about what God wants to do. Unity requires that we see beyond ourselves, beyond our generation. Beyond our likes and dislikes. Because you see, when you study the church, you realize we're a chain. From the day of Pentecost to the rapture. Each generation is a, is a link in that chain. 
Each generation a little different. Each generation having different style and different approach. But each generation is still a part of the body of Christ. And you and I will do better by serving one another. And being patient with one another. Because by doing so, we will ensure the next generation of the church until Jesus comes. So I want to ask you this morning. Who are you training? Who are you preparing for the next generation of the church? The church of Jesus Christ cannot afford to be neglected. Our calling, our corporate purpose cannot afford to be neglected. The church is the world's hope. And the body of Christ if it neglects this battlefield, we'll lose, and the nation with it. But if we engage this battlefield, we will not only win, but we will win the nation as well, because God has given us that power and that authority. Say amen if you believe that. And so the Bible says, where two or three come together, in my name, I'm in their midst. Now I have to tell you something the Lord told me to make sure to tell you. Unity in the body of Christ begins in the Christian home. Unity in the body of Christ begins in the Christian home. It begins in your marriage. Jesus is our example. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's where unity begins. Victory in the church begins with you and your family coming together in agreement and the anointing flowing in the household. Say amen, Christian. And he says, husbands, love your wives. It starts right there. It starts with husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love her? Paul says he gave himself for her. You love your wife, husband, by giving yourself for her. By serving her. By being the one that does the heavy lifting. Say amen, somebody. You do the heavy lifting physically. And emotionally and spiritually in the home. He says that Christ gave himself for her. It means he laid down his life for her. How does a husband lay down his wife, uh, his life for his wife? I heard one preacher say, well, you know, I wouldn't mind my, dying for my mama, but for my wife. He was not mature yet. Jesus died for his wife, for his bride. And you say, Pastor, what if I, I don't have to die? Uh, how can I do that? By putting your family first, by putting her first, and by serving her. And also, a way that our life is measured, we receive at our jobs, we receive money for time. 
You receive money for your life. So give your wife some money. Nobody said amen. I see the ladies putting out their hands right now. It's not an altar call, not an offering either. Your wife needs some money. Some of your life. He said he, he cherished her. He nourished her. That means your wife needs to hear you say, I love you. Nobody said amen again. Pastor, you're talking about the church. Stay in the church. Unity begins in the home. Don't do like the man, his wife said, honey, I haven't heard you say I love you. He said, I told you when we got married. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. No, he cherishes her. He nourishes her. He tells her what she means, who she is. Come on, somebody. You like to hear God tell you that he loves you every day. You want to hear God cherish you and love you? It begins at home. He loved her. He cherished her. How? It says, so a husband ought to love his wife as his own body. For he who loves his own life, his wife loves himself. When the Christian home is governed by the love of God and the unity of the spirit, the anointing flows. And when the anointing flows in the home, it it flows in the church. The church is made up of families. The church is made up of homes. And those homes where husbands love their wives and where wives respect their husbands, God says, I will put my blessing there, my anointing there, and I will command a blessing. And that blessing won't be able to stay at home. This battlefield has to be engaged. You have to take it seriously. If you don't have a local church, you need to get a local church. Become a part of a local body of believers. If you don't have a pastor, you need to get a pastor. I went to one funeral. There were five pastors there. None of us knew who's, who was the pastor. That person had never committed to a church. Never knew who her pastor was. You need to know what church you are a part of. You need to know who your spiritual authorities are. And you need to engage that life, that, that body of believers with all that you are. With your time, with your presence, with your, with your financial giving, with your prayers. And you need to teach your children to be a part of the local church. Don't just send them to church, bring them to church. Say amen, somebody. And be the church at home. Be the church behind your front door. Be the church in front of your wife and your children. Let them see the character and the unity of the believer at home. And Jesus said this about it. Hell won't be able to prevail against you. I said hell won't be able to prevail against you. Would you stand up with me this morning?
Here's what I want you to do. We're going we're gonna to do this altar call a little bit different this morning. And I understand it's going to be a little unusual. So you're going to have to you have to figure it out, all right? Because we're the church. Say amen, somebody. Where two or three gather together in my name, I'm in their midst. So here's what I want you to do this morning. This is our altar call this morning. We're going to unite two or three believers together all throughout this church. I want you just to unite with some of the people around you. And I want you to pray for one another. And I want you to bless one another. And I want you to be the church to one another. Say amen, somebody. Be the church to one another. Because we need each other. And each one of you has something that someone else needs. And as you pray, God's going to hear your prayer. And he's going to meet you at that place of prayer this morning. I am confident of this. That if you will engage in the battlefield of the church, you will win. Come on, there's a guarantee. Jesus said the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against you. The church can't lose if it's doing what God anointed it to do. So let's go. Let's begin to pray. Find somebody to pray with this morning. And if you see somebody alone, go find them and pray with them.